Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host, Howard Sides, and today we're continuing our study through the book of Revelation. And on the last podcast, we're kind of in the middle uh, of this thought here in uh, chapter 21 and verse 12, uh, where we're trying to understand the meaning behind uh, these angels that are mentioned here. Uh, let's read the verse. And then we'll discuss it uh, uh, to, to where we are, okay? All right, Revelation chapter 21, verse 12 says, And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. All right, so we're discussing these gates here, and specifically about these angels here uh, that it mentions uh, at each an angel at each one of the gates. And so we're trying to understand the meaning behind these angels and what they are. And uh, we've come to the point uh, where we read Genesis chapter three verse twenty four. Um, as a refresher, let's just read that. It says, "So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims." And a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So that was the job of these cherubim. Now, as we read that, it seems that all hope is lost. I mean, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, the, the place God created for them. They had everything. And listen, it goes right back to uh, what actually happened. And, and I'll read the quote again. Because Adam and Eve focused on the one thing they could not have, instead of all the things they could have, they lost everything they had, plus the one thing they thought they could obtain by sinning. And, and that's what happens with sin, is it not? Um, I mean, God has blessed us. We've got so much in our lives. And Satan just tempts us with one thing that A, we're not supposed to have, or B, uh, we shouldn't have. And we get hung up on that one thing and end up losing all of it. And and sadly, that's what happened. And that's what it see. You, you read Genesis 3.24, and it looks like all hope is lost until we realize one very important fact about what we are told here. Okay? Don't miss this. As we are told that Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, we are told that cherubims and a flaming sword now stand at the entrance and somewhere in the distance still stands the tree of life, which we are specifically told here that the tree is guarded, but it is not destroyed. So life is still there. The opportunity to have eternal life is still there. That's the blessing in chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 24. Adam and Eve may have been cast out, separated from it, but God didn't destroy the tree of life. Thank God. Because I'm telling you, if he had, it would be game over for all of us. I mean, there would what would be the point of living? Really. Now, Ray Pritchard uh, tells us, and I quote, the whole truth of salvation hangs on that point. If God had destroyed the tree of life, none of us would ever be saved. We would live, die, 
and enter eternal punishment. Eden as a place disappears after Genesis 3. No one ever goes there again. It vanishes from the face of the earth, apparently destroyed in the great flood of Noah's day. End quote. So that leads us to ask the next question here. What about this tree of life? What happened to it? Where did it go? Uh, it's not left as a mystery because we are told about it again, and, and we're coming up on it. Actually, it's in the next chapter, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 2. It tells us about it. It says there, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now here's life through water. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. Now, how about that? <laughs> there it is. It, it's not a tree of life. It's a singular. There's only one, the tree of life. It's got to be only one type of tree, one kind of tree, uh, one specific tree. Uh, it's like, that. here's the apple tree. Uh, when you say that, it could be uh, the apple tree in my yard. It could be the apple tree in your yard. Uh, the, it could be the apple tree we see on the way to Walmart or, uh, you know, on the way uh, to school or on the way to work. But in the Bible, when it uses that word, the, it is specifically pointing to a singular element when it talks about this. Even Jesus Christ himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that wasn't even enough, he even adds the following phrase, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no multiple ways to get to heaven. There's no multiple avenues that leads to salvation. There is only one, and that is only through Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he's spelling out. And he even goes on when in the gospel when, he, when he's talking, and he says, uh, you know, broad is the way of destruction and narrow is the path and all that. And few there be that find it. Think about that. Few there be that find it. We kind of went through it when we were talking about heaven uh, and how many people are going in the rapture. Way back in chapter four, uh, James Knox in his commentary talks about it. Uh, and he starts breaking it down. And he, and he said, you know, you can't really claim a person's salvation based on what church they go to, although it's a pretty good evidence of what they believe, okay? Pretty good evidence. So if, if you base that and you say, okay, based on what the Bible clearly tells us, all right, that Jesus Christ is the only way. Well, okay, that means none of the Muslims are going because they believe Allah's leading the way. None of the Buddhists are going because they believe that they have enlightenment. None of the Shintos are going because they believe in something similar to that and on and on and on and on. And then you get down and narrowing it into the Christian churches that we like to call. The Catholic Church believes in uh, the mother. They believe that Mary is a saint and that salvation comes through Mary. Jesus Christ clearly said in the Bible, I am the way. I am the way. Not my mom, not my dad. I am the way. Okay? So you kick out all of them. Uh, and then all these others. Uh, the Methodists believe you can lose your salvation uh, and I, I don't have time to get into all these other ones and what they believe and what, what they don't believe and all that. But, but the fact of it is, there's going to be far fewer uh, that stand on the right side than, than what we think. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very sobering day there in heaven when the church is raptured. I mean, the Bible clearly says, few there be that find it. How can we possibly think that heaven's going to be chock full of all these people? 
Man, that's the great deception of Satan of this day. So many people think they're going to heaven, and sadly, they're not. That's scary. I, I tell you, that's, that's scary. So, uh, mentioning this tree of life here, <laughs> it says here uh, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22 of Revelation, so this tree of life is on either side of this river. Is this indicating one tree or more than one? Uh, we can look into that later on, but I'm going to tell you, it's one tree. <laughs> now, we, there's trees here, uh, and you think, well, how is it possible to be on either side of a riverbank? That just don't make any sense. Really? Have you heard of a sequoia tree? You can drive through those things. What's, what's hard to believe about a tree of life that's been around since the days of the Garden of Eden? Uh, how big do you think that thing is? <laughs> right? It wasn't killed. It wasn't destroyed. It was forever there. That, that, we just talked about that. Okay, so we are told here uh, that the tree of life brings forth a different fruit every month, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations, meaning that God intends that vast multitudes of people should come to this tree to find strength, life, help, and hope. There's no one excluded. No one will have the opportunity or the excuse or the right to stand before God and say, I didn't get saved because I didn't have an opportunity. No one will stand before God with an excuse. Ray Pritchard, he said again, and I quote, what was once a single tree for just two people to enjoy has become a vast heavenly orchard with fruit for billions of people. End quote. I, I don't think this is talking about an orchard of trees. I believe this is one tree. And when he says heavenly orchard, I think he's suggesting there's more than one tree. I don't think so. I think it's one humongous tree. Big tree. Imagine the lumber you could get out of no, I'm not going there. Oh, goodness. Okay, so next we need to know that there is a difference here between cherubim and angels. Where cherubim are a specific rank of the angelic order, and the term angel can be used to reference all of the angelic order or a specific rank called angel. Um, I have a book um, around here somewhere. Um <laughs> I just rearranged all my bookshelves. Uh, what is the title of that thing? It's, it's, uh, oh, come on, where is it? No, 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 no. I'm looking. Uh, I, th I think it's called The Dictionary of Angels. I think that's what it is. The Dictionary of Angels. And, uh, I, I had a dear, Dear saint of God in our church, give it to me. Uh, Cloyd Stafford was his name. Sweet man of God, I tell you. He uh, gave me that book. And I, I'll be honest with you. Now, the Bible only mentions a few angels' names. Uh, Michael, Lucifer, and uh, Gabriel. Uh, that's the three that come to mind right now. Uh, and it does mention, like, dominions, thrones, virtues, and powers, and stuff like that. But... I, this book goes in names like thousands of angels. I don't know where the names come from, but I, there there is several places in the Bible that gives uh, a listing of the different ranks. And uh, now this is a suggested order that I'm going to give you. Okay, that's all it is—a suggested order. I don't know that this is exactly the right, right 
rank. It could be even missing some, but these are some of the ones that we know. Uh, one is Seraphim. Two is Cherubim. Three is Thrones. Four is Dominions. Five is Virtues. Six is Powers. Seven is Principalities. Eight is Archangels. And nine are Angels. Now, notice now what the Bible tells us about these cherubim in Genesis chapter 3. And, and we mentioned it in the last podcast, I believe. Singular references is cherub. The plural reference is cherubim. Now, according to other references in the Bible, it would seem that they have the unique assignment of guarding the throne of God. They are what you could call the heavenly secret service standing guard around the throne and preventing any undeserving person from approaching God. Now, these creatures play an important role in the design of the tabernacle. If you go back and read uh, Exodus 36 and verse 8, it says, And every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work made he them. I, we went through a lesson on the uh, tabernacle, and I'm telling you, all the symbology of that thing, there is hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of, of symbolic pictures in that tabernacle, all pointing to Jesus Christ. And and there's been people that have recreated the tabernacle based on the uh, information we have out of Exodus. But can you imagine, just think about the beauty that was in this place. Imagine what that thing looked like. But here it said he made these curtains of fine twined linen. They were blue and purple and scarlet. And then they had these little cherubims of cunning work made he them. It didn't mean he just slapped on a sew, sewed on patch. It was cunning work. Exquisitely, intricately detailed. God gave these people the precise ability to be able to do this, okay? Again, that points to the fact that God is not going to give you a task that he doesn't equip you to be able to handle and do. Now, symbolic of Jesus as the refuge for the weak and weary child of God is what these curtains are. Psalms 17 and 8, Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings, behind the curtains. Psalms 57 and 1, To the chief musician, uh, Altashith, Mixtum of David. Wow, whatever them names are. When he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful, merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Again, the wings seen in the picture of the curtains. Psalm 61, 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. Not to cover the wings, the covert, which is the hiding of them. Uh, Psalms 91 and verse 4. That's, by the way, my favorite psalm. Psalm 91. It's my favorite psalm. 91 verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now, these uh, curtains are also symbolic of God looking down on and protecting those underneath. That's Psalms 33 and verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. 
Uh, the next reference uh, on these creatures that play an important role in the tabernacle is in uh, Exodus 36 and 35. It says, and he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. With cherubims made he it of cunning work. So not only did he make ten curtains, but he made a veil. Now the difference is this the curtains uh hung inside the front door of the holy place. I, I believe it was the ten curtains. I, I'm thinking it they hung in, in the holy place. The veil actually separated the holy holy place from the holy of holies. That's what the importance of the veil was. And this symbolizes God's judgment on sin and man's forfeited right uh, uh, of God's holy presence because of sin. Yeah, forfeited right to God, God's holy presence. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You're not, you're not going to bypass it. You're not going to escape it. You're not going to get rid of it. You're not going to be uh, a good citizen and be done away with it. You're a sinner and it has to be dealt with. That's it. Next example is uh, Exodus 37 and verse 7. It says, And he made two cherubims of gold beaten out of one piece made he them. Think about that. They didn't pour it in a mold. It was beaten into shape, and it was not only beaten, it was beaten out of one solid piece of gold. He made two cherubims of gold, beaten out of one piece, made he them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Man, these guys had some talent, God-given talent. That's right. Now, this is symbolic of Christ as the two parts of the Word of God, the living Word and the written Word. This also symbolizes Christ in all Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. They faced each other, which signifies agreement. From Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God agrees. It is true, without error or contradiction, from cover to cover. Cherubim are also uh, represented uh, at the Garden of Eden, guarding the way of the Tree of Life. We've talked about that. In these curtains, guarding the holy place and holy of holies, and in the veil, guarding the holiness of God as well as the final one talked about on the mercy seat guarding the blood sprinkled there. Now, tying this all together, uh, let's look at the similarity, and then we're going to look at the difference. Now, the similarity is in both Genesis 3.24 and Revelation 21, verse 12, we have an entrance and we have an angelic being. In Genesis, we have the way to the Garden of Eden and cherubims, more than one. Here in Revelation, we have one gate, and one angel. It doesn't say they're cherubim. It just says it's an angel. Okay? Doesn't mean it's not a cherubim, but I, I don't think it is a cherubim, but I think it would have specifically named it if it was, but it says it's an angel. Now, here's the difference. In Genesis 3.24, the cherubim are guarding the way of the tree of life and preventing access to anyone. Here in Revelation 21.12, these angels are seeming to imply an invitation to all based on what is said. Both the tree of life and the river of water of life are both behind these 12 gates. Uh, that was verse 6, at the end of verse 6. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Freely. 
That, and if nothing else in this world is free, that right there is free. God says it's not going to cost you anything. You can't earn it. Uh, you can't obtain it. You can't achieve it. All that can happen is I give it to you. And, and, and he does. And God has just invited all to partake of this water. And then uh, again, mentioning what we uh, read in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. <clears throat> in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So again, back to this point. Why then are angels present at the twelve gates? It was not for guarding, as all sin has been dealt with, and there will be nothing left to try to access uh, uh, entry unworthily. Yeah, nothing's going to be there that, that's not going to be worthy. Now, in his book, uh, Things to Come, J. Dwight Pentecost offers a suggestion that originally these angels were here to guard against unworthy access. He states that this same city would have been suspended over the surface of the earth during the millennial reign, at which time there would still have been the presence of sin. Now, at this time, he states that these angels could serve as an honor guard of some sort, as suggested by many other scholars as well. Now, according to James Knox, these angels are what they always have been, ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Okay, so... Uh, Again, in answering that question, there's not a crystal clear answer as to what all we can do is see the circumstances of where that where they are and what's going on. And we're just kind of <laughs> uh, deducing things from that point based on the information we have. So we really don't know. But it does seem to be that they will be uh, like a welcoming committee, a welcoming party, because there won't be anybody left who does not deserve to go in. Okay. All right. Now, uh, let's see how much time we got. Eh, about eight minutes or so, seven and a half. Uh, verse uh, 12 again. Uh, this is the, yeah, this is the final phrase there. And names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. All right. Now, this is similar to Ezekiel's vision back in chapter 48. Ezekiel 48, verses 31 through 35. It says, And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. And at the east side, 4,500 and three gates. And one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And out the south side, 4,500 measures and three gates. Uh, the measures, I think he's talking about longevity, length of it, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, that'd be my guess. Uh, let's see. And at the east, 4,500 and one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures and three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Issachar, one gate of Zebulun. And at the west side, 4,500 with their three gates, one gate of Gad, one gate of Asher, one gate of Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be 
the Lord is there. <laughs> Won't be able to say, I'm sorry. He's busy. He ain't here. I can't say that there. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a sort of mystery involved with the 12 tribes when we get to this point in that the named 12 tribes have actually changed from the original 12 sons of Jacob. Now, the original 12 sons of Jacob, I, I'm not even going to take time to read this, but uh, there, let's say there's four sets. There's the sons of Leah, uh, the sons of Bilhah, which is Rachel's maid, uh, the sons by Zilpah, which is Leah's maid, uh, and then the sons by Rachel. And I'm going to list them in order of birth and kind of just go from that point, okay? So first of all, there's the sons of Leah. Firstborn of all of them is Reuben. Reuben's the oldest of all of them. Number two is Levi. No, sorry, number two is Simeon. Simeon. Reuben, Simeon. Number three is Levi. Number four is Judah. Then uh, you have the children of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, which is number five, Dan, and number six, Naphtali. Then you have the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid. Number seven is Gad. Number eight is Asher. Uh, then we return to uh, Leah once more, and she has two more sons. Number nine, Issachar, and number 10, Zebulun. And then finally, we have the sons of Rachel. Uh, number 11 is Joseph. Number 12 is Benjamin. In the wilderness, the tribes were aligned on all four sides in a particular order. And you could not meet, okay? There was only one order. On the east side was Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. The south side, Reuben, Simeon, Gad. And notice they're not in order of when they were born either. Uh, the west side, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then on the north side, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Now, what do you notice about that? There's two that are omitted. Um, omitted. That's Levi and Joseph. And then Joseph's two twin boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, are included here. Isn't that strange? Now, the temple during the millennial reign will also have 12 gates with the names of 12 tribes on them. The north gates, Reuben, Judah, Levi. East gates, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan. South gates, Simeon, Iskar, Zebulun. The west gates, Gad, Asher, Naphtali. Now, this is the names of all 12 original boys born to Jacob or Israel, as his name was. The order of the gates on each side is derived from the fact that Ezekiel seems to proceed from the northwest corner eastward, then southward, then westward, and then finally northward. Then also there's a list of them in uh, Revelation chapter 7 in the 144,000, which are sealed. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, strange enough, missing here is Dan, and then Joseph's son Manasseh is named in his place. Why is there a name and a, or an order change, and what does it mean? Um, in the wilderness, the exclusion of Levi is because this tribe was selected to be the priestly line and were get dedicated to the service thereof. Uh, you can read Numbers chapter 1, verses 49 
through 53. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then Joseph's portion is divided between his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. This is due to Joseph receiving a double portion of the land allotted to Israel in the promised land. Remember we talked about that double portion. Well, here it is. It's because his two boys were each allotted a portion of the promised land. So thereby Joseph ended up with two portions. And that is talked about in Joshua 17, verses 14 through 18. Uh, the millennial temple. The order includes all original 12 sons of Jacob. In the 144,000 sealed for 12 tribes, Dan is missing in this order. Manasseh is included. Although we are never told why Dan is excluded, some commentators suggest that this is done as a remembrance of what Dan as a tribe did in Judges chapter 17 and verse 18. And you say, what's that talking about? Okay, here's a synopsis of what happened. Dan was not happy with the land that God had allotted for them. So, they stole some idols and a priest from a home in the land of Ephraim, then took over a portion of the land allocated to the tribe of Naphtali. Talk about your neighbor nobody wants. Uh, burning the city to the ground and then instituted idol worship in the land of Israel during the time of the judges. The tribe of Dan was symbolic of Israel's failure, which is likely the reason they were excluded from the list in Revelation. We don't know that for sure, but that's what everybody says. Now, one critical thing to note here is that in our verse, only the 12 tribes by number are mentioned. No names are given and or what gate is assigned to who or to which. Okay, we're going to stop there. We only got like 20 seconds left. So thank you for listening. Remember to pray for me, pray for your local church, pray for each other. Uh, God bless you and have a wonderful day.